This is a unique podcast exploring the criminal justice system and those involved and affected. We'll educate and expose the public as well as potential jurors to what takes place behind the scenes of those who are facing the system. Your host owns a litigation support firm called Justice Technology Professionals, and he works on criminal and civil cases offering support to defendants and counsel. What you're about to hear is an open dialogue, opening the minds to the public, to what takes place in reality, as opposed to what you think takes place. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Justice Tech Pros Podcast. Here's your host, Dominic Crea. Hello, listeners. I'm excited about today's episode. I'm going to be having on criminal defense attorney, author, and unfortunately the victim of uh, wrongful conviction, Bruce McLaughlin on. He's going to tell us what he's been through and his experience. And we're also going to discuss what goes on in the system and how these type of things can happen. Uh, You could read about his experience and order his book if you're interested on his website, which is hesaidshesaidbook.com. And again, I'm looking forward to the call, and I'm honored to have him on. So I'm going to be connecting with uh, Bruce now. So sit back. It should be an enjoyable show, and you should learn a lot from today, and it should definitely be eye-opening. Mr. McLaughlin, uh, I just wanted to say first that it's an honor to have you on, and uh, truly sorry for what you've been through. I started reading a little bit about it. I actually ordered your book. So I want to go through it more thoroughly, but I want to have a discussion with you. And uh, thanks again for having, you know, for uh, appearing and for contacting me. I was uh, grateful to get the email. Well, you betcha. I have a good publisher who's trying to uh, spread the net here a little bit. Uh, Is it Dominic? Yes. Yeah, Dominic, to uh, be able to uh, publicize this case, not because I I really, you know, am interested in uh, the the issue associated with this particular case, but because I want to try and make uh, the world a bit fairer place, if I can, by uh, 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 bringing to light people's understanding of these uh, sexual allegations in divorce cases. They're a unique breed that skew the uh, truthfulness of children based upon suggestibility by power adults who want to gain a a custody or a divorce advantage, typically in in litigation that's going on civilly, which happened in my case. Uh, The numbers are are interesting because most children do tell the truth, and that's why juries are a bit fooled by some of these said cases. Uh, That said, uh, juries, uh, you know, look at a child saying, this is what daddy or mommy did, and they tend to believe the child because children... You know, unless there is some challenge to the children's testimony um, or to be believed, you know, uh, about 80 percent of what children say regarding abuse cases, physical or sexual, are are true. But where there is a divorce situation, the numbers are skewed in just the opposite direction, where 80 percent of those uh, same cases are false. Wow. I want to bring that to the attention of juries and judges and the public so that they don't run afoul the same freight train that I did, which creates such a snowball effect because of the principle of the big lie. That is where, you know, a lie is so egregious that it it becomes true or people think it's true. 
Um, and, uh, and so that's one reason why I want to move forward in trying to publicize the case. The other is trying to get judicial reform in this nation, but also in Virginia. We're starting to make strides just uh, this month where Virginia has finally overturned the death penalty. First time in the South, if you will, that that's happened for any of the southern states, and hopefully the other southern states will follow. Well, why is that important? That's important because the inherent unfairness of the application of the death penalty has had its roots in slavery. Uh, it used to be, before equal protection under the 15th Amendment overturned the, the laws in Virginia, that uh, a black man uh, who would rape a white woman was sentenced to die, whereas a white man who may have raped a black woman would be given a life sentence. So depend upon the, the race of the perpetrator and the race of the victim to determine the level of, uh, of punishment, which is just... Uh, wrong yeah well that, that's a big problem that we see too often just where they'll select a target and based on the target sometimes it has to do with the profile of the target different rules apply and that's a lot of what i talk about on you know my podcast where and i'm glad you said you wanted to reach out to jurors because i think that is really where you know on my level anyway where i hold some power where you can connect with the public inform them what's going on so at least if they are, they find themselves in the position of sitting on a, a jury, some of what they hear will sink in, and they're not uh, just believing all the smoke and mirrors that unfortunately takes place sometimes during these trials. Right. That's right. Um, so what is your organization, uh, Dominic? Well, my organization, we're a litigation support firm. We actually help uh, attorneys, and we support getting ready for trial, uh, we do a lot of the e-discovery, a lot of the audio as far as transcriptions, a lot of the investigation work, everything we could do to support counsel and the defendants to give them a better shot and be prepared during the motion phases, pre-trial phases. And, and that kind of started, I had no intentions of doing a podcast, to be honest with you. And then last year I was being, I was part of a trial where I just saw all these things taking place that just weren't fair, wasn't playing out properly from the beginning of the motion phase all the way through trial and I saw a lot of smoke and mirrors a lot of deception and that kind of sparked me to start the podcast last November I believe it was and, and it's been going pretty well it's been you know uh, taken off nicely we're on all the different platforms a lot of subscribers a lot of uh, downloads and I try to just go on and connect with the listeners as well as give the defendants sometimes clients a voice you know that we're working with to try to let them know what's going on, what's taking place, how it's not always how it seems to be. And that's that's the small part I just try to play. I guess it's for my own own conscience, <laughs> just to, on the small scale I could do it, make people aware and make potential jurors. Because I did see a lot of uneducated jurors and a lot of jurors that don't think for themselves and just believe everything that the government is saying or the state's saying. So they need to they need to understand things before they rush to judgment. That's good stuff. Uh, what's the name of your organization, Dominic? Uh, the organization itself is Justice Technology Professionals, and then the podcast, uh, when I created it, I just put Justice Tech Pros Podcast. Well, the other thing that might be important to Justice Tech Pros, which is kind of what you do as a litigation support uh, firm, 
is I have in my book, uh, and I'll send you a copy if you give me your address, I've outlined some of the experts that are needed in these kinds of cases uh, to be able to assert your innocence, uh, certainly to be able to disprove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Right. So those experts would be, a, you know, a forensic pediatrician. You've got to have a good forensic pediatrician to be able to show that whatever anomalies might exist in a child are really just genetic anomalies and not uh, abuse or any uh, potential penetration, right? Right. In my case, I had uh, my two boys. My girls were completely uh, pure, Um CPS dropped the charges against them. Ironically, this prosecutor, motivated to get reelected, didn't, uh, and put Incredible. my girl through hell. Uh, but my boys came up with anal genetic anomalies uh, called diastasis ani. I ironically had the best pediatrician in the state of Virginia testify. He always testifies in favor of, of uh, the Commonwealth attorney. But uh, he testified in my case that there was no evidence of trauma. These, these were genetic anomalies of both of my boys. Um, so, you know, even with that, I got convicted. Uh, sentenced to four years in uh, the penitentiary in Virginia in three months. And then was given a retrial and acquitted. But you need a forensic pediatrician, Dominic, in these cases. You also need uh, a, uh, you know, if, if you have the, uh, the benefit of getting a psychologist to interview the kids, you need a psychologist who can pretty much make a recommendation as to whether the children are spinning tails through all of various changes that they make to their recounting of events that's usually an indication that people are lying or not lying kids don't lie but but at least being told what to say sure a psychologist um and and i had for a forensic pediatrician uh i had uh, uh what was his name uh there were two one from michigan and one from virginia uh, I'd have to I'll have to uh, look at my book. Uh, the psychological testimony was provided by Dr. Stanton Samenow, who is a forensic psychologist um, in uh, in Fairfax or Arlington. And then you need a suggestibility expert, a suggestibility expert or parental alienation expert. Now, parental alienation is considered to be a uh, to be a uh, a disease or a disorder reflected in the DSM-5 for the first time, uh, the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual that uh, everyone uses to determine whether or not under Daubert, as you're familiar perhaps with, uh, a court will recognize an expert in a particular field based upon peer reviews and the whole nine yards right. for the particular subject. Well, in the first, uh, in, in, in with suggestibility, this is a science now, or at least it's uh, recognized uh, as having credibility. Uh, my experts there were Dr. Maggie Brook out of uh, Johns Hopkins University. Um, and I didn't have a, a, a parental alienation expert because at the time in Virginia, parental alienation was only a, a uh, was not a, a disease or disorder recognized under the manual. It was uh, only a syndrome. Um, gotcha. But in any event, they're kind of related because you, you look at factors 
where a child is interviewed typically by uh, the police. Uh, in my case, it was a woman who had no experience leading the children down the primrose path, using notes, crib notes that the mother had prepared for the children. When the Child Protective Services had specifically told the ex-wife not to, to write anything down, um, and so, but those are the kinds of experts that you need, and that's where you know your maybe your uh, your company comes into play if somebody's charged with sexually abusing children uh, that you're going to need in order to. Uh, represent a defendant effectively. Well, it, it's it's um, ironic that you know you're touching on the experts because not only, I've done several past episodes and I'm actually having an upcoming ex- episode about experts and how important they could be. And the topic on the upcoming episode, I'm going to have some uh, forensic audio experts on and video and cell site. And we were just talking about how the government will actually pay experts for a conviction rather than having. Uh, somebody go by the science, they have an agenda that they're trying to push. And I've always, um, on the criminal end of it, I try to get into how important it is for counsel and for the defendants to have that oppositional expert, because there's always a different side that the jurors need to see. And unfortunately, if they're only seeing one side and the defense doesn't call an expert to refute that and rebut that information, it's it's a devastating, uh, devastating uh, uh, problem. That's right. You know, and uh, I appreciate you actually being detailed and outlining the experts so people do know where to go and what to seek and what type to call because a lot of times they they don't. You know, they don't know what to call for a specific reason or for a specific instance. And uh, so my book, Dominic, lays out the uh, the contact information for each of these these experts. I, I'll send you a copy. I actually ordered it. I ordered it when you um, uh, reached out to me. When I got the email, I went on and ordered it. So I should be getting it soon. I'm looking forward to diving into it. Yeah, do that. And then if you want me on your podcast to comment about the real life case in which you know we didn't have the proper experts in the first go round, and when the second go round we did. And it resulted in acquittal, even though the Commonwealth uh, or the state had its own experts. Right, right. And that, that, that's the key. I mean, it, one of the questions that, that popped in my head, I, I was wondering, because we see this a lot of the time as well, unfortunately, where a client will have, you know, insufficient uh, counsel. And, uh, you know, we have to afford it. They just don't know what they're doing. They're not really fighting for the client. And did you experience that the first time around? Uh, say that again. You broke well, up a little bit. Yes, when when a client, unfortunately, sometimes I've encountered where they'll start off with ineffective counsel. They don't have somebody really fighting for them, really digging in and defending them, and they're leaving a lot of gaps and a lot of holes in the case. Did you experience that first time around? I did. I, I experienced lawyers who were not prepared, lawyers who were not good at what they were doing. I picked. Uh, people that were recommended to me that were just not good. One of them was an alcoholic, and the other one had you know very little criminal experience in the area, sexual abuse cases. So first of all, you got to start with decent lawyers who have experience or a track record in this area and defending it. Second of all, you've got to have experts uh, that would qualify based upon uh, the uh, the application of the Daubert free Merrill uh, case and ensure that a judge will recognize experts because uh, you need to qualify your experts and make sure that they have uh, the experience. So, uh, 
that's your... And what kind of, uh, uh, did you did you face a lot of, like, back and forth with your lawyers for the first team? Because I've seen that happen a lot, you know, where the defendant tries to be involved in their case, tries to tell them, tries to give them ideas of what to do, and, and it's basically falling on deaf ears. It becomes very frustrating. Did you experience that as well? Um, and, and say that again? Um, I've seen a lot where you have a defendant or where they do have uh, an, an attorney, their lawyer, that they try to, to work with at the beginning. They're trying to tell them ideas, trying to give them advice or give them direction to go to have a more thorough case for the defense, and it was falling on deaf ears where the lawyer just was uninterested. Did you experience that as well, where you were trying to get things done that just wasn't happening? Yes. Uh, some judges, uh, you know, have their own little uh, picadillos. Uh, some of them can't even hear, which was the case of one of my judges who made a ruling that was ridiculous. Um, but, uh, yeah, I experienced that too. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, that's why I wanted to have a conversation with you and get you on and, and really put the podcast out so people could see, unfortunately, firsthand what happens to somebody who, who goes through the system and, and winds up getting all these variables working against them? Where you have going to experts, I've seen where a judge sometimes won't even allow the defense, the defense expert to be permitted. And that really blows my mind where an expert gets denied. I don't know how that's even possible. Somebody's trying to defend their case and then their expert doesn't get approved. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what happened in my case. My my lawyers didn't do any research. They presented a, a particular expert uh, in parental alienation. The judge said, this is a syndrome. It's not even recognized as a science. Uh, and threw, threw, the, uh, threw the expert out. So uh, that was a problem in our first trial. Yeah, uh, th- that's a major problem. And and do you, have you experienced also a lot of, you mentioned where the prosecutor was ze- overzealous and wanted to go forward. I've seen that a lot as well, where they just don't have the facts dictate the case. And they, at all costs, they want to get a conviction. At all costs, they want to go through with the charges, whether it's to make a name for himself, to get a promotion, uh, to get big media headlines, if they may have a high-profile case. Did you experience that as well when you were going through it? Absolutely. I had a dirty prosecutor. His name was Bob Anderson. Bob Anderson uh, hid evidence in my case, the, the children's notes, which were fortunately referred to and obliquely in the transcripts of the children's testimony. And my, my, my defense lawyers didn't even bother asking for the notes, uh, nor did they ask for the original recordings of the children's uh, testimony, which showed that a police secretary had recorded uh, on behalf of the police chief, their version of what the children said, leaving out, uh, you know, certain things that they said the children said when it was the detective who was saying it. So in other words, there was, in some places, uh, my son was asked, well, did your dad actually uh, enter your rectum area with his penis? And he would say nothing. And the, there would be a gap. And then the uh, the police, uh, female police officer said, all right, let's move on to such and such. All right was translated as to what my son said. Wow. Uh, so that, that was a problem, and it was a problem with uh, the fact that the prosecutor didn't turn over the recordings and didn't turn over notes. He buried them in discovery 
because he was trying to run for re-election. And uh, in Virginia, they have prosecutors uh, run for elected office, which is totally wrong, because then they're motivated for political reasons to win their case, not serve justice. Absolutely. And and I think that's what's so frustrating, uh, the accountability factor. Now, they, they put you through this, they go through all that, and nothing happens. I mean, they were shown to be hiding discovery, not turning over what was needed, changing evidence, and there's zero accountability for it. That's what is incredible to me that I've seen play out time and again when somebody is wrongfully convicted and then they're exonerated. Those that were responsible for it, nothing really happens. Yeah. That, that's um, and, and that's what happened in this case. I did go door to door once I got uh, my acquittal on the second trial and told people about the prosecutor and said, no, please don't vote for this guy. He is not someone to be trusted. Um, and uh, fortunately, uh, another guy got elected. Um, so, I, you know, what I couldn't accomplish up front um, I accomplished but through the ballot box. Right, right. Well, at least you made somewhat of an impact on that because, again, I could only imagine what that must feel like with all those in, involved and to be accused as something, as a father, I you know, can't imagine. So I de- definitely empathize with you and to, and to have no, <laughs> to have the people who were responsible for this just have nothing really happen must be beyond frustrating. Beyond frustrating. Yeah. yeah, and and the other the other item that um you just touched on before that is so important for defendants that I always try to stress, they do that a lot where they change the transcript of an audio recording, and it's so important to go through those audios and really see who is saying what. And what I've encountered is actual words are changed to fit a narrative to make the defendant look worse, to make them look more guilty, and then when the defense hears that, plays it, and transcribes it correctly, it's a completely different conversation. And then you have to even go through the process of submitting it, showing that there is an instance where we don't agree on. You have to get that approved. But if the defense team doesn't do that and doesn't check these audios, a juror is just reading that transcript as the prosecutor wants them to read it. And it's, exactly. it's a dangerous road to go down. And people don't realize that all these things take place. And that's why it's so important for these jurors to be aware of these little techniques and tactics that they use to paint somebody guilty. I, I agree with that, too. Yeah. So um, you've experienced probably some of this. And in, in, uh, is it across the country? Is it an epidemic or is it just individual cases? You know, I wish I had the answer. To me, from what I'm seeing, I'm seeing it somewhat of a target-based instance where for some reason or whatever, uh, an office, an investigator, law enforcement, a prosecutor, they, they pick somewhat of a target. And they, whether it's through media, they could get the, the, the press involved, where they could get big headlines to have a high-profile case. They seem to target people. And then the rules don't apply to those individuals that they're targeting. They don't get the same fair trial that others seem to be getting. And I think it's just a matter of integrity of those involved where they don't let the facts dictate the case and to dictate whether somebody's guilty or innocent. It's more of, of an agenda, and they'll use whatever necessary to push that agenda. Whether or not the person's g- guilty or not almost takes a back seat. They just want to 
fill that narrative with, with whatever they have and go forward. I mean, to me, if somebody was an honorable prosecutor uh, and they get handed a case and they're going through the facts and they see things don't add up, they would question that because they're supposed to want to push justice, not a narrative. Yeah, that's a fair point. And, and I think that is a big struggle that I see. Set up, Dominic. It's an adversarial system. It's not an inquisitorial system like you have in Europe where a judge sort of you know, ask the parties to present this, that, or the other. Uh, and this adversarial process is, is so based upon the ability of attorneys. And so if your attorney is weak, so goes your case. Yep, absolutely. And that's that's the problem that I see time and again. Uh, and you being an attorney, I'm sure you come across it yourself when you're dealing with other counsel and you see what you're putting into it and what they're putting into it. I mean, I can only imagine. You could tell a little bit about that. What exactly do you handle within your practice and where are you based out of? Uh, say that again. Uh, I, I missed it. Just to give the listeners a little bit about your your practice and where you're based out of and the type of cases you handle. Uh, I'd just like you to maybe elaborate a little bit on that so that they understand that aspect of it as well. As to my cases, uh, you mean my, my cases as an attorney? Correct. And, and what is specifically asked, again? Just basically to inform, like, your area of what you practice, just to have the listeners understand your, your background and, you know, what you what you see face and what you come up against. Uh, you know, I come up against it uh, from time to time. I do criminal cases, but uh, because I have a particular passion, um, I have really made it a point to, to be assertive. Uh, to not back down. Um, being in jail for four years and three months, Dominic, encourages you not to be intimidated or fearful from any judge or any jury or, for that matter, any um, any prosecutor. And uh, and so, you know, I fight pretty hard for my, my clients and trying to avoid the situation that I was put into. And I've been given the benefit of, of really uh, therapy right. <laughs> by of being able to have this profession in the same courthouse that originally convicted me. So Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that experience. Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, I, I tell you, it's it's uh, been a pleasure speaking to you, and if you could just tell the uh, listeners where they could get your book or any uh, information as far as reading up on your case. I told them it was at that uh, he said, she said book.com and they could order it, and if there was anything else you'd want to uh, elaborate on or, or discuss... Yes, I have a Facebook uh, site, which uh, is www.brucewmclaughlinauthor.com. And people can pull up my Facebook site there with my blogs, uh, that I'm, that articles that I am uh, regularly submitting to that site. Um, and uh, my book can be purchased on Amazon, um, as, you, as you have done. Gotcha. Uh, but also happy to uh, have uh, your your audience feel free if they have a case of uh, said a said case sexual allegation and divorce case to uh, be able to counsel um, with them regarding what I would recommend that they do in preparing their case uh, whether it be a lawyer calling 
or whether it be a defendant who doesn't have representation at that point. Otherwise, I would ask that they have their lawyer call me because I, I shouldn't talk to them as an attorney unrepresented if they're represented. Gotcha. Yeah, that'd be great. And what's the best way for them to contact you for that purpose? Uh, they can contact me uh, via uh, my email address, which is uh, the BWMCL, Bravo Whiskey Mike Charlie Lima at Verizon.net address. Gotcha. Perfect. And, I, and I'll put a lot of those um, links in the description so listeners could just pull them down and click on them and be taken to the appropriate source. Very good. Yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate this conversation. Uh, I hope it, you know, opened up some eyes of the uh, existing listener base and the new listeners just as far as what really does take place and how when you're in the crosshairs, these are the things that could happen. Yes, sir. The crosshairs is an appropriate expression because you are looking down the barrel of a gun. And uh, I, I just, uh, you know, reiterate that if you need some help or you want to have somebody on your panel uh, regarding your expert uh, presentation, Dominic, uh, feel free to give me a call back. No, absolutely. And we'll, we'll be in touch for, for sure. I, uh, there's a lot of synergy there and I'd want to uh, pick your brain and I think I could... Uh, use your help on some some of the defending cases that come my way. So absolutely. And again, I thank you for uh, the opportunity. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. My pleasure is mine as well. Thanks, Dominic. Take Appreciate care. your call. Thank you. Take care. All right, sir. Bye. So there you have uh, Bruce McLaughlin and a little insight as to what took place regarding his circumstances, you know, to be ac accused of something that heinous as a father, I can't even imagine. And it was interesting to see a lot of the points he hit on were things that we discussed, that I've discussed in the past, the importance of these experts and the importance of making sure you have these rebuttal experts because, unfortunately, there's the result. You could get wrongfully convicted. Uh, if you, and another, another big part of that was having inadequate counsel. And I see it time and again, and it is very frustrating where you have these lawyers, when they when you interview them, they sound great. They're giving you all the right things. They're saying all the right things. And when it comes time to produce, they leave you hanging. And that's just not acceptable. It's it's your life you're fighting for. As with Bruce, he's fighting. He fought for his life, his reputation. There's nothing worse to be accused of. And you have to go through all the motions to prove your innocence. So uh, I hope everybody enjoyed today's episode, and until next time. And just to reiterate, I'm going to put the links to Bruce, to his uh, material, and to contact him. God forbid if you ever find yourself in a position uh, being accused of something like that b during a divorce, he would be a great guy to talk to, even if you already have counsel, like he said, have your attorney Call him, bounce some ideas off him. It can't hurt just to get the most powerful representation as possible and build as many different tools as you, as you possibly can. So that's it for today. Until next time. 
You've been listening to the Justice Tech Pros podcast with Dominic Crea, one of the most unique podcasts on the internet, discussing the obstacles the defense team faces when trying a case, what goes on behind the scenes during pretrial and motion phase, holding defense attorneys accountable, making sure they're fighting for their clients, the difference between textbook law and how things truly play out in a courtroom, and everything in between. And everything in between. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show and we'll be back soon until then find us on twitter facebook and instagram at justice tech pros to email the show with questions and comments it's podcast at justice tech pros.com till next time this is justice tech pros podcast and dominic crea signing off